Welcome to the Improve the News podcast for Saturday, August 12, 2023, where we separate the spin from the facts. I'm Scott Wallace. And I'm Eric Steiner with a look at today's top stories. A special counsel is appointed in the Hunter Biden probe. China arrests an alleged CIA spy. Biden calls China a ticking time bomb. At least 23 Rohingya are killed after their boat sinks off Myanmar. Trump and an aide plead not guilty to new classified documents charges. Biden asks Congress for an additional $24 billion in Ukraine aid. India looks to scrap colonial-era laws. U.S. mortgage delinquency rates fall to an all-time low. Rupert Murdoch's News Corp sees profits plunge 75%. And data reveals the U.S. recorded its highest number of suicides in 2022. In our top story, the attorney general appoints a special counsel in the Hunter Biden probe. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Associated Press, CNN, BBC News, Politico, and Reuters. U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland announced on Friday that a special counsel has been appointed to investigate the financial and business dealings of Hunter Biden, the son of President Joe Biden. Garland has appointed Delaware Federal Prosecutor David Weiss to fill the role of special counsel. Weiss, who had seen a plea deal with Hunter Biden over tax and gun charges fall apart last month, asked Garland to give him special counsel status to continue his investigation. Hunter Biden had struck a plea deal with prosecutors after being charged with felony gun possession and two tax misdemeanors in Delaware, though a judge squashed it as, quote, unusual. The case is now expected to head to trial. In his announcement, Garland said that appointing a special counsel was prudent in light of the extraordinary circumstances granting Weiss special powers, allegations that Hunter Biden's dealings were improper and that President Biden might be implicated in them have long dogged the president's son. Several House GOP committees have investigated allegations of wrongdoing against Hunter Biden, stemming from his time as a lobbyist, consultant, and investment banker. However, they have yet to find evidence of wrongdoing, which White House officials have dubbed conspiracy theories. On Friday, Weiss moved to dismiss the tax charges so they could be refiled in a different locale, with Weiss indicating that new unrelated charges could be made by federal prosecutors. Hunter Biden's lawyer has accused Weiss of, quote, maneuverings, while some GOP figures have expressed distrust of Weiss after the plea bargainings. All right. Thanks for those facts, Eric. And here are our narrative spins, starting with the Democratic narrative from the New Republic. After years of smearing the president and his son, there is not a single shred of evidence that Hunter Biden's tumultuous personal life has anything to do with his father or could be considered corruption. Weiss, the Trump-appointed prosecutor, will continue this politically motivated crusade. Until there is serious evidence of wrongdoing, this appointment changes nothing. We counter that with a Republican narrative coming from Fox News. Far from being biased against Hunter Biden, Weiss was responsible for authoring the sweetheart plea deal given to the first son that had termed so lenient a judge threw it out entirely. This move is a Biden administration whitewash, and we cannot trust Weiss to act impartially. Congressional Republicans will ignore this distraction and keep pursuing the evidence of Hunter Biden's wrongdoing. And from time to time, we have statistics-based nerd narratives brought to us by the Metaculous Prediction community. This one says there's a 24% chance Hunter Biden will be indicted by November 5th of 2024. China arrests a suspected CIA spy. Here are the facts as agreed upon by TRT World. Al Jazeera, Reuters, Eurasia Diary, The Straits Times, and CNN. 
On Friday, China's Ministry of State Security announced the arrest of a 52-year-old Chinese national named Zheng, who was accused of spying for the U.S. CIA by allegedly providing sensitive military information in exchange for money and immigration to the U.S. The Ministry of State Security claims Zheng, who's reportedly worked for an unknown military-industrial group, went to study in Italy and was briefed by a CIA agent stationed at the U.S. Embassy in Rome. Zheng, according to the ministry, became psychologically dependent on the CIA agent, who cultivated a friendship through dinners, outings, visits to the opera, and other activities. The ministry further added that the CIA agent, allegedly named Seth, manipulated Zheng's political views and extracted sensitive Chinese military information during the relationship. The U.S. Embassy in Beijing didn't respond to media requests for comment. The case has been sent to prosecutors for evaluation and indictment. Thank you, Scott, for the facts of that story. The first spin is a pro-China narrative coming from Global Times. This case is the latest example of how the U.S. engages in more global surveillance and reconnaissance than any other country in the face of what it considers to be a long list of threats. But it's the U.S.'s spying that causes many crises across the globe. It's vital for China and other countries to crack down on U.S. espionage. And CNN brings us the anti-China narrative. Even if these vague allegations hold any weight, China itself isn't innocent when it comes to engaging in espionage, repeatedly targeting the U.S. and anyone else it considers a threat to its hegemonic goals. Just earlier this month, the U.S. arrested two sailors suspected of spying for China. If Beijing wants to see an end to all the spying, it must first recognize its hypocrisies. According to Metaculous Prediction Community and their nerd narrative, there's a 20% chance that there will be a U.S.-China war before 2035. I'm not saying I'm in favor of espionage or emotional manipulation or whatever, but uh, this Seth sounds amazing. Opera visits, other activities, dinners, friendship. I mean, I wish I had a friend like Seth. (laughs) I know, right? Sounds amazing. (laughs) Yeah. I I, I can't, no one's ever taken me to the opera before. Few take me to dinner. I mean, this is, where, where's my Seth? I'm psychologically (laughs) dependent. I'm ready to go, man. In our next story, Biden calls China a ticking time bomb. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Guardian, Global Times, CBS, Reuters, Sky News, and BBC News. On Thursday, U.S. President Joe Biden described China as a ticking time bomb because of its weak economic growth and the country's aging population. Biden stated that despite the U.S. wanting a rational relationship with Beijing, the nation has got some problems. He continued saying that's not good because when bad folks have problems, they do bad things. Biden's remarks come after he signed an executive order prohibiting new U.S. investments in Chinese technology that might be used by Beijing to modernize its military, such as computer chips. Though Biden said China is growing at 2% annually, data from China's National Bureau of Statistics showed that the economy grew 4.5% in the first quarter and 6.3% in the second. However, the PRC's economy has already slipped into deflation as the consumer price index for July dropped to minus 0.3%, while the producer price index fell by 4.4% compared to a year prior. Meanwhile, China's exports fell by 14.5% in July compared with a year earlier, while imports dropped 12.4%. China Daily brings us the pro-China narrative. 
The Biden administration continues to engage in the unfortunate escalation of strategic competition between the U.S. and the PRC. Due to ideological fears, the U.S. is continuing to attempt to isolate China economically from the rest of the world. The United States' anxiety-driven overreactions to China and its inevitable growth will only fuel tensions and global danger. Washington's continued hostility towards Beijing benefits nobody. The anti-China narrative comes from New York Times. While its economy was to be envied two years ago, China is struggling today. Xi Jinping's erratic behavior and erroneous zero-COVID policy have stunted China's growth. Though the country's economy is in shambles, China still poses a credible threat to the global order. And it doesn't take a xenophobe to be worried about the international influence of an increasingly autocratic state. And Metaculus strikes again with another nerd narrative. This time they say there's a 20% chance there will be a U.S.-China war before the year 2035. You know that there's the old saying, you know, Henry Ford said, uh, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. Right. Yeah. I'm a little concerned about Biden or any leader saying about another competitive place that they're a ticking time bomb. I say I feel like if you keep saying that they're a ticking time bomb, they'll become one. Yeah. It's like what do you call that? A self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. You're a bit of a ticking time bomb yourself, Mm -hmm. Eric. I just want to mention that. Well, well, come on. Everybody knows that. <laughs> now now we do. Great. <laughs> Tragedy off the coast of Myanmar as at least 23 Rohingya are dead in a boat sinking. Here are the facts as agreed upon by UN News, The Irrawaddy, The Guardian, Al Jazeera, CNN, and BBC News. The death toll of a Rohingya boat that capsized after reportedly being hit by a large wave near Myanmar's Rakhine state capital, Sitwa, has risen to at least 23 people, 13 women and 10 men, with 30 passengers still missing. A spokesperson for the Shui Wang Mata Foundation Rescue Group stated that eight people have been found alive so far, all of them currently held at a local police station. The boat, which was on its way to Malaysia, reportedly departed in bad weather as thousands of Muslim-majority Rohingya seek to flee Myanmar and Bangladesh in search of better living conditions. The UN refugee agency UNHCR reported earlier this year that more than 3,500 Rohingya risked their lives to cross the Andaman Sea and the Bay of Bengal earlier this year, a steep increase compared to around 700 people in 2021. The minority group in Buddhist-majority Myanmar is deemed among the most persecuted people in the world, with 750,000 Rohingya having fled to refugee camps in Bangladesh since 2017, following a military crackdown in Rakhine. Rakhine is home to around 600,000 Rohingya Muslims, who are considered migrants from Bangladesh and have been denied citizenship and freedom of movement. Thank you, Scott, for the facts of that story. We begin our round of spins with a pro-establishment narrative coming from Al Jazeera. The Rohingya people have desperately risked their lives crossing the ocean for years, trying to find a safe place to live after suffering human rights abuses in Myanmar. This crisis has exposed structural flaws in the Association of Southeast Asian Nations, and its rules made it possible for Myanmar to prevent regional powers to prevent regional powers from investigating the scale of human rights abuses and taking action to halt them. And we have an establishment critical narrative from DW. It's hypocritical to criticize solely ASEAN when Western democracies have done nothing to help the Rohingya, even though the International Court of Justice has long called for measures to protect those persecuted. 
While this is likely to be a consequence of fears that Myanmar would strengthen ties with Beijing if pressed, not acting to preserve the universal validity of human rights can only damage the West's reputation. The plight of the Rohingya at sea is the world's responsibility. Former President Trump and an aide plead not guilty to new documents case charges. The facts of this story are agreed upon by The New York Times, PBS NewsHour, The Guardian, Independent, and Forbes. On Thursday, former President Donald Trump and Walt Nauta, his longtime aide, pleaded not guilty to additional charges in the case over Trump's alleged mishandling of classified documents that were taken from the White House to his Mar-a-Lago residence. Nauta and Carlos de Oliveira, the property manager of Mar-a-Lago, appeared in federal court where they faced updated charges of conspiring to delete surveillance videos sought by investigators. Trump, who issued his plea when he last week waived his right to appear in person, and Nauta were previously charged in June, but a new indictment last month added more charges and included De Oliveira. De Oliveira was unable to make a plea because he hadn't secured local representation. His arraignment was scheduled for next week. All told, Trump is facing 40 charges in this case, while Nauta is facing eight. Trump's latest plea comes days after he was indicted and pleaded not guilty to charges stemming from special counsel Jack Smith's investigation into his alleged role in attempts to overturn President Biden's victory in the 2020 presidential election. Thanks, Eric. We have a Democratic narrative spin from Mother Jones. The list of Trump's indictments keeps growing, and it seems more and more likely he'll be spending the winter and spring in court. He can deny these charges all he wants, but it seems that his aides were acting on his orders to destroy evidence to keep investigators from retrieving the documents they requested several times. With this many indictments, it's only a matter of time before he's found guilty. The pro-Trump narrative is courtesy of PJ Media. The immense number of indictments is an indication of how weaponized the Justice Department under Biden has become and how intensely it wants to achieve its goal of derailing the leader for the 2024 GOP presidential nomination. Eventually, however, the truth will prevail and the former president will be proven innocent. And we have another nerd narrative from Attaculus. This time they predict there's a 35 percent chance that Trump will be jailed or incarcerated before the year 2030. President Biden asks Congress for an additional $24 billion in aid for Ukraine. Here are the facts as agreed upon by CNN, The Guardian, and Fox News. U.S. President Joe Biden asked Congress to approve an additional $24 billion in Ukraine aid, senior administrative officials told reporters on Thursday. The request includes $13 billion for security assistance and $7.3 billion for economic and humanitarian assistance, while also setting aside $3.3 billion to fund infrastructure in countries affected by the war, reportedly to prevent Chinese lending in those countries. It also requests funding for a range of domestic issues, including $12 billion for disaster relief, $4 billion for managing America's southwest border, and $4 billion for combating the trade of illicit drugs, namely fentanyl. The total for the request comes to roughly $40 billion. The request for additional funding for Ukraine comes as its long-anticipated counteroffensive largely fell short of its own and Western expectations, bringing into question how long foreign aid, which Ukraine is highly dependent on, can continue. Biden has promised support will last as long as it takes, and Democrats have largely followed. However, the issue will likely cause a divide among Republicans. For instance, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy 
has previously said he opposed a blank check for Ukraine, while Mitch McConnell, the GOP Senate leader, has been a vocal supporter of continued funding. Meanwhile, the American public's support for its tax dollars going to Ukraine has gradually waned over time. A CNN poll published last week showed that 55% of those asked don't support additional funds for Ukraine. Those are the facts, and we begin our round of spins with the Democratic narrative coming from Associated Press. This request, which enjoys strong support, demonstrates that the U.S. continues to stand in firm support of Ukraine against Russia's illegal invasion. There will be some challenges for it to pass, but it should do so. And Fox News brings us a Republican narrative. This exorbitant request promises huge sums of money to Ukraine while continuing to neglect America's vast problems at home. In fact, it will send six times the amount of money to Ukraine compared with how much Biden has requested for the problems at the border and the fentanyl crisis. We have a nerd narrative coming from Metaculous Prediction Community that says there's a 50% chance that the U.S. will direct at least $13.61 billion in security assistance to Ukraine's military from Congress's Ukraine Security Assistance Initiative and foreign military financing programs in fiscal year 2023. I think this is kind of how giving goes, right? Everyone gets excited about something in, in a in a in a compassionate way, you know, when there's an earthquake in Haiti or you know a right. tsunami somewhere. Yeah. I mean, ha- Haiti still needs money, but no one has thought about them for a long time. I think this is just. Sadly, it's the way it goes. I guess it's good that people get excited about donating in the beginning, but yeah, I mean, everything. We're one of the few outlets that I hear still regularly reporting on Ukraine in detail. Anyway, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. You're right. It's sad. Everything has a shelf life. That's for sure. India to scrap colonial era laws and repeal the penal code. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Al Jazeera. Hindustan Times, Independent, Barron's, Bloomberg, and ABC News. On Friday, India's federal government presented three bills to repeal and replace the Indian Penal Code, the Code of Criminal Procedure, and the Indian Evidence Act, many of which were implemented during the British rule. The proposed changes deal with pressing issues, including imposing the death penalty for mob lynching and sexual assault on minors, as well as a 20-year minimum sentence for gang rape. Home Minister Amit Shah further stated that one of the bills would replace the colonial-era sedition law imposed by the British in 1860 to repress freedom fighters with its own version. This comes as Prime Minister Narendra Modi's government has, has sought to remove symbols of British colonialism from history books, urban landscapes, and political institutions. The repealing of the controversial sedition law, which India's Supreme Court put on hold last year, would prompt the addition of new offenses for endangering the country's sovereignty, criminalizing armed rebellion, and separatist actions. The two houses of India's parliament are expected to consider the bills that Shaw claims will transform the country's criminal justice system later this year. Thanks, Eric. Narrative A comes from Op India. Minister Shah is trying to kill multiple birds with one stone. While ridding India of any remnants of colonialism, these bills will also protect women and children from forced sexual relationships. Prime Minister Modi's government believes in India's rightful status as a sovereign country, which is why he's working to protect his people from both their enslaved past and modern-day extremism. Narrative B comes from Scroll In. While the official wording of the old British laws may have been changed in the proposed bills, Modi's government isn't actually repealing the Sedition Act. 
In fact, it is broadening the definition of seditious words to include those with the so-called tendency to incite violence or cause public disorder. The British may not be in charge any longer, but Modi has picked up the authoritarian sword and wielded it for himself. And we have a nerd narrative from Metaculus. This time they say there's a 70% chance that the BJP party will form the government after the next Indian general election in 2024. Next up, the U.S. mortgage delinquency rates hit a record low. Here are the facts as agreed upon by National Mortgage Professional, Housing Wire, and Reuters. According to the U.S. Mortgage Bankers Association, or MBA, National Delinquency Survey, delinquency rates fell to 3.37% at the end of Q2, down 3.64% year over year, and the lowest since the MBA began collecting data in 1979. While 30 60 and 90 day delinquency rates fell to 1.75%, 0.55%, and 1.07%, respectively. Rates for conventional loans fell 15 basis points to 2.29%. FHA rates fell 32 basis points to 8.95%. And VA rates fell 28 basis points to 3.70%, the lowest since Q4 of 2019. However, FHA delinquencies rose one-tenth of a percent compared to the same period a year ago and, on a non-seasonally adjusted basis, rose 0.13% year-over-year and 0.71% from the first quarter of 2023. As delinquencies across all mortgage types fell during Q2, the percentage of loans on which foreclosure actions were started in the second quarter also fell by 0.03%. This comes despite the Federal Reserve's 5.25% interest rate increase since March of 2022, resulting in higher borrowing costs across the economy, with the MBA citing a strong job market. But most homeowners are currently paying less than what's being charged for new loans. Scott, thanks for the facts of that story. We begin our round of spins with Narrative A coming from National Mortgage News. The economy is recovering well after the COVID pandemic. And that has meant strong wage growth and historically low unemployment. When people have money, they're able to continue making their mortgage payments. And hopefully this lack of distress will continue. And narrative B comes from CNBC. The delinquency rate is low because homeowners are terrified to sign up for record high interest rate mortgages, not because of a robust job market or other outside forces. The Fed's interest rate hikes are scaring people from biting off more than they can chew and are also killing the housing market. Metaculous Prediction Community gives us a nerd narrative. It says there's a 50% chance that the next great financial crisis in the U.S. will occur by August 14th of 2028. August 14th. Wow. How specific is that? August 14th. Yeah, I would have gone August 15th, the Ides of August. Right. August August 14th is my dad's birthday. Oh, So maybe that's what they're talking about. That's exactly (laughs) what it is, Scott. Okay. My dad always said that he liked when his birthday came when he was a kid, but he knew it was just about time for summer vacation to be over. So it was always bittersweet. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, August 14th, that really is pushing it. Like that's getting close to school time. It really is. Rupert Murdoch's News Corp sees profits plunge 75%. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Sky News, Reuters, New York Post, Guardian, and Wall Street Journal. 
On Thursday, media giant News Corp revealed that profits this year had fallen 75%, with their net income falling to $187 million on June 30th, less than the $760 million in profits the company raked in last year. The company did, however, beat quarterly earnings estimates thanks to cost-cutting measures. CEO Robert Thompson revealed the company was staking its hopes on generative artificial intelligence, calling it a remarkable opportunity. Thompson also revealed that 50% of the company's revenue was from its digital streams. Core earnings rose 8%, buoyed by data services and subscriptions, but suffered from an 18.4% drop in real estate revenue and an 11.9% decline in ad revenue in the final quarter. The Rupert Murdoch-owned media conglomerate's struggling Australian division recently revealed that it was using AI to write 3,000 articles a week. The company's AI hopes, as well as a belief that interest rates and inflation will stabilize, were, quote, sound reasons for optimism, Thompson says. Negotiation with AI companies to establish the value of the company's content are ongoing, Thompson says, with the Associated Press inking a similar deal with OpenAI last month, which licensed some of the news agency's archives to the ChatGBT maker. The New York-based News Corp has media properties that include HarperCollins Publishers, The New York Post, and the United Kingdom's The Sun and The Times. Through their ownership of Dow Jones, their portfolio also includes The Wall Street Journal, Barron's, and MarketWatch. We've got left and right matching narratives on this story, Eric. Let's start with the left narrative spin from The New Republic. One of the great exporters of far-right politics and low-quality infotainment, Rupert Murdoch's media empire is slowly but surely crumbling. His promotion of toxic political causes has finally forced consumers away from his products. However, we ought to be concerned about the potential damage an AI product could do if they create a generative model based on their noxious journalism. We counter that with a right narrative coming from New York Post. While there will no doubt be glee in some circles at this news, Murdoch's other conglomerate, Fox News's owner Fox Corp, has been doing just fine, even after the departure of its star anchor, Tucker Carlson. News Corp's woes are due to market fluctuations, with the public still enjoying Murdoch's products in spite of the haranguing leftists who think they can dictate what media they can and cannot enjoy. Now, Eric, I know you're an AFC guy with the Chiefs, but as far as I'm concerned, I'm a Giants fan. I need Fox. That That's where the Giants are on every Sunday for half the year. So I I am a, uh, a, a, a regular consumer of Rupert Murdoch's products, and at least that they're the only game in town as far as that goes. I think you need to change teams. Oh, there you go. That's a good idea. <laughs> that would solve it right there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, come, come, Chief, over, come, come over here to the Chiefs. The water is looking pretty fine over there. I know, man. I'm telling yeah. you. I keep telling you this. You know, go with the winner. Come on, Scott. And grim news from the CDC as U.S. suicides reached an all-time high in the year 2022. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Reuters, CNN, the Associated Press, CBS News, WHEC 10 of Rochester, and Al Jazeera. New CDC data shows an estimated 49,449 people in the U.S. died by suicide in 2022, the highest figure the agency has ever recorded and a 2.6% increase from the previous year. The CDC posted the estimated number Thursday and also reported that the 2022 suicide rate of 14.9 deaths per 100,000 people is 5% higher than the previous record of 14.2 deaths per 100,000 in 2018. 
U.S. suicides were steadily rising from the early 2000s until 2018, when the national suicide rate reached its highest level since 1941. The rate started to fall in 2019 and 2020 before rising by 4% in 2021 and now 3% in 2022. Older people aged 65 and up saw the largest increase in suicides between 2021 and 2022, rising 8.1% to 10,433 deaths. Meanwhile, children and young adults, 10 to 24, saw the largest decrease at 8.4% for a total of 6,529 deaths. Suicide is now the second leading cause of death for adults aged 25 to 44. White men have particularly high rates, and CDC Chief Medical Officer Dr. Deborah Howery says it can be prompted by losing a job or spouse. There are many factors attributed to the rise in suicides, including increased rates of depression and limited mental health services. Some experts say the availability of firearms has contributed to the suicide rate, with the gun suicide rate reaching an all-time high. Scott, thank you for the facts of that story. Our first spin is a right narrative coming from Daily Wire. America is seeing a crisis from what has been described as deaths of despair, exacerbated by a culture that foments the social ills of our time. The U.S. was already going down a dark path as communities decayed and many working class people lost their jobs. But the COVID lockdowns were the biggest nail in the coffin. America must look to rebuild communities and provide better economic opportunity if it hopes to reverse the alarming rise in suicides. And our final narrative today is a left narrative from NPR Online News. You cannot talk about rising suicide rates without talking about the massive gun problem in America. Data shows that gun-related suicides are on the rise, and open access to firearms allows people to act out on their worst impulses. The gun epidemic has not only taken the lives of people via homicides and mass shootings, but has also caused thousands of deaths by suicide. Thanks for listening to the Improve the News podcast for Saturday, August 12th, 2023. Each day we use machine learning to read about 5,000 articles from about 100 newspapers and figure out which ones are about the same stories. For each major story, our editorial team then extracts both the key facts that all articles agree on and the key narratives where the articles differ. For more information on Improve the News, please visit our website, improvethenews.org. You can also download the Improve the News app on the Apple App Store or Google Play. For Scott Wallace, I'm Eric Steiner, inviting you to join us next time on Improve the News. Thank you.